February 15th on the Just Baseball Show. Welcome to it. I'm Peter Apple. That's Arm Layton, and we're talking pitching on this episode. We welcome on Colby Olson from the Just Fantasy Baseball Show, one of the newer podcasts that has been added to the Just Baseball Podcast Network. Really fun conversation that you'll see in the back half of this episode. But first, the final domino has fallen, Arm Layton. <laughs> Michael Walker is a San Diego Padre. Jack, and you called it on, what was it, Monday's episode? Yeah. Maybe something like that. Literally the day before. <laughs> Literally, we're doing the NL West grades, man. And we're just like looking at that rotation with the Padres. And we're like, all right, Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo, like one of them, one of them can, can be uh, the guy that you're trying as a starter, but both of them. No, like go get somebody that at least has you know, proven to be a high threes, low fours as a starter. Uh, and then, you know, Jack was like, I got one guy in mind. Who do you think? And I was like, Michael Walker. He's like, bingo. And sure enough, literally a day later it happened. So there's just baseball show has been a, uh, We've, we've been predicting some stuff this offseason. So uh, that was a pretty cool one. And <laughs> honestly, it's not the sexiest move of all time, Peter, but like how much more co- like comfortable, at least I'm not going to say like confident. It doesn't put them over the top or anything, but doesn't it just give you a little bit more of like calm with this yes. rotation now that you don't have to yes. look at Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez holding, you know, two spots of the five in that, in that rotation. I'm just looking at this team. You got Bogarts, you got Soto, you got Fernando Tatis Jr. You got so many Machado, so many amazing players. And at the top of the rotation, you Darvish, which they just signed to an extension until he's 42 years old. Blake Snell, who can still spin a curveball like nobody's business and throw 97 miles an hour. You got Joe Musgrove, who has flashed ace potential. And then you look at the roster resource on Fangraphs and you see Nick Martinez, who, while great reliever, has not proven that he could be a starter. That was a reason why he had to go play overseas because he couldn't make it as a starter with the Texas Rangers. Then you look at Seth Lugo, who wanted to be a starter, and the Butters said, sure, we'll take it. Why not? We have we just spend money like it's yeah. on fire, like it doesn't even matter. But then they sign a guy like Michael Walker, and I want to give you guys credit for the predictions, and I am giving you guys credit for that prediction, but it almost was obvious. Like, there's one contender that desperately needs a starting pitcher. I think he could have gone back to the Cardinals, but the Padres just feels like the perfect spot for him. Cause while we shouldn't expect a guy like Michael Walker to put up a three, three, two ERA, because I kind of compare him to uh foolish baseball, his, um, his meme, which I still think is the funniest thing ever, like the Chad innings eater peripherals say he should retire. Like there's no debate yeah. that Michael Walker has a, had a four, five, six XERA. And then a year before that, when he was 29 in 2021, he had a five, five, one XERA. But sometimes you have a good season. And even if he delivers an ERA within the fours, he's going to give you those innings. And it almost feels like Michael Walker is 35 when in reality, he's 31. We don't exactly have the contract available yet. At least I haven't seen it come out yet, but I assume it's not going to be more than a one to two year deal, but knowing the Potters, it could be a five-year deal, (laughs) but overall they had to do it. Good signing. I like the deal. Yeah, I mean, the only other team that I would have loved to have seen done this is, you know, the the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, that yep. it would have been nice, but you know, I think we we kind of accepted that that ship had sailed. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a few a few weeks ago, maybe even a month or two ago, that, that it just wasn't going to happen. That payroll was not going to get significantly escalated. Uh, it just you know, so th- this seemed like the Padres were were the no brainer option. And you know, what I like about Waka is, yeah, the peripherals aren't great, but yeah, he was able to survive pitching in in a tough division uh, and pitching in a brutal spot to really 
be able to put up good numbers, which is Fenway Park, and then also playing in New York and playing in some other spots that we we talk about the AL East and, and how tough it can be to pitch in later on in this in the podcast here. But it, it's it's something that like if he can be what his FIP says or somewhere even between the XERA and the FIP, which is the XERA, as you pointed out, Peter, 456, the FIP was 414. If Waka gives you 130 innings of 4-3 ERA baseball with the, the three-headed monster that you mentioned, like that's something that they just need because I don't know if Seth Lugo gives you a sub-5 ERA as a starter. I, I feel better about Nick Martinez doing it, but again, even his splits, if you look at the occasional starts that he made, he wasn't that great as a starter. I feel better if, you, if you're picking the three, right? Like if you had to pick all three are getting a full starters workload of Waka, um, of, of Lugo, and of Martinez, who would you bet on to put up, you know, the best F war or, or even just the best ERA period if all of them had to make, let's say, 25 starts? Yeah, as a betting man, you go Michael Walker and you don't think twice about it. But at the same time, like Nick Martinez has shown the potential. He's got it. He, he could. He so, could be better. He was great as a reliever. Like, I don't want to take that away from him. No, we are not saying that Nick Martinez is a bad pitcher by no. any stretch of the imagination. He really impressed. He was one of the guys in the Padres pen at, in the postseason where I'm like, yeah, you got Josh Hader, but he had his struggles. You know, Robert Torres is great. But like, I want to go to Nick Martinez. Yeah, we are not saying that. What we are saying is. Past history says that Nick Martinez is not the four starter that a playoff contender, a World Series contender should rely on to go six strong in game four. That's what we're saying. We're holding these guys to a higher standard. Could Nick Martinez be a fine starter? Of course he could. Could Seth Lugo be a fine starter? Of course he could. But we know that Michael Waka has been a solid starter. 3-3-2 ERA, that is nothing to scoff at. He had a great year for the Red Sox. He's going to be cheap. And he allows a bit of a a deep breath, right? It's like you go into the season now, the biggest question mark for the Padres was the fourth and fifth starter. Now you can gamble on the fifth starter, right? You see whether Nick Martinez or Seth Lugo. But then what it also does is then you could put back one of them in the bullpen, which makes the bullpen even better. So this is a good signing. Of course, we haven't seen the money yet. If they give him a four-year deal, we have to look at it and be like, all right, well, (laughs) the reports came out that uh, Waka was looking for a two-year deal between 10 to 15 million per year. It's a little bit much, but if he gets that, they needed it. They obviously don't care about money for some reason. Yeah, no, clearly not. not. Um, The one last note I'll I'll make is kind of just to to piggyback off of what you're saying. I I feel fine about one of Lugo or Martinez holding a rotation spot. Mm -hmm. I don't feel good about counting on both of them to hold a rotation spot. And as you mentioned, both are proven relievers. Martinez, as a starter last year, 52 and a thirds innings, 4-3 ERA, a 269 opponent batting average. As a reliever, 54 innings, a 267 ERA, and a 209 opponent batting average. So even if he's that what he was as a starter at a 4-3, if that's your five, you're fine. Um, but if that was your four and then he got Lugo as the five, that is a really big drop off for what is, you know, a, a two fifths of your rotation. So I, I like this a lot. It helps them, you know, get through the marathon of 162. And, and I think really sets up this Padres team nicely. That was kind of the last thing that we were waiting for. You know, we, we wondered if they were going to go get some help in the outfield. I think with what they've got offensively, you know, they're, they're good enough. Um, and, and some of the bench pieces that they have, I think they're good enough. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how this team does. And with some of the vulnerabilities that we talked about, you know, and it's all relative vulnerabilities with the Dodgers, but with what they have, I like that the Padres are are really just not letting themselves have any real hole that you can really poke uh, with this team. And I think that's going to make it a really fun race in the NLS this year. So what you're going to hear in the back half of this episode is the fantasy baseball primer on the pitching side. We gave you Clay's opinion from the Just Fantasy Baseball show on yesterday's episode. Now we talk fantasy baseball on the pitching side with Colby. But what we do have, which I'm excited about and I've been writing about, is college baseball. We have that preview going on on Thursday. And then I'm dropping my top 100 players in Major League Baseball this week on the Just baseball show where it's a big primer and then we have top tens we have world baseball classic content make sure you leave a five-star review here on the just baseball show we've been keeping you through this offseason because the rest of this offseason is bangers and we start with colby olsen on the pitching side 
from the Just Fantasy Baseball show. Colby Olson, the host of the Just Fantasy Baseball show and consistent contributor on Not Gambling Advice. Colby came in with so many great football bets, and now he's transitioning to help us win our leagues on the pitching side. Of course, we have Arm here. Arm and I are going to pick your brain about pitching. You said before we press the record button that pitching is your favorite thing to talk about. Is that correct? It, it Without a doubt. Without a doubt is my favorite thing to talk about because... You know, I don't know. The hitters are are a little harder to predict. I think you can predict what pitchers are going to do a little bit more accurately than than hitters. There's a lot that, more that goes into it on the hitting side, which I'm sure Arm could could speak to um, a bit more than I could. Well, you know, and I think even on the hitting side, um, and we've had Colby and I've had gosh millions of conversations about this since we were sophomores in college, and and, and for I was a sophomore, he was a freshman when we first met, but like. There, there's a lot of data and hitting and, and a lot of things that, that are involved there. But I think the way that you can really put together an arsenal and you can really craft one, you know, through the data, through the information, through everything that you get, I, knowing Colby and, and the way he is with numbers, it's no surprise to me that that he loves uh, pitching the way he does. Uh, and I'm excited about this because I think this is a really good way to cross over and, and, and showcase. I know you guys, we did it with Clay already, but what we've got going on on the Just Fantasy Baseball side. And I love the, the matchup of Clay and Colby because Clay, I think, is is more into the hitting side and 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 really likes to dive into the position players and dive into all that. And not that either of you don't like going on the other side, but it seems like a perfect mashup here. So I'm excited to talk pitching, too, because I've been very hitter heavy lately. Um, and I, I got to start doing some of my research for pitchers because uh, we might be in the same fantasy league, uh, but I know Colby's going to have to give away all of his favorite tidbits. So I'll remember and I'm going to leverage all of this information, Colby. And Colby, yeah, you, you're a fantasy baseball player, you're a gambler, but I think probably, and you've said this yourself, that you love predicting pitching performance. I feel like that's at your core and you use that to help you gamble and you use that to help you in fantasy baseball. And as a numbers guy, as our head of analytics over here at Just Baseball, what are some of your favorite stats to predict pitchers performance like next year? Like you see maybe this pitcher struggled in the ERA department, but you see something that you think he's going to thrive next year or the opposite. I'm curious just to pick your brain on the number side. Yeah, absolutely. Pete. I mean, I think it's, you know, at this point, it's pretty, it can be pretty simple, right? The best pitchers in the league are going to be the ones that strike out the most batters. They limit walks. They um, allow a lot of soft contact. It would be preferable if that soft contact is on the ground, but there are plenty of fly ball pitchers that succeed at the major league level. And some of the best pitchers in the game are fly ball pitchers. Um, but yeah, if you limit hard contact and you strike guys out and you don't give up free passes, you're going to have a pretty good chance of performing at a high level. Um, obviously, you know, it can go deeper in, in within there. Like you can look into, you know, a guy's whiff rate on his specific slider on his specific curveball, or how is he getting, you know, whiffs on his fastball. But at the end of the day, all those things are going to add up to equal his strikeout rate, his total strikeout rate. Like you can, you can see a lot from just a few stats. It's really not that complicated. And how do you use that to be better at fantasy baseball? Like go through kind of the scoring and some indicators through the numbers that you look at that I'm saying, Oh, this is a guy who I want to pick up in drafts. Yeah, absolutely. So a traditional five by five fantasy baseball league, um, you'd have five pitching categories that you're competing for every single week being ERA, um, total strikeouts, wins and wins. So walks, walks plus hits per innings pitch. So if you don't give up free passes, you have a pretty good chance of, of being pretty good. And it also goes along with the soft contact thing. Don't give up hits, right? be as good of a pitcher as you can be. But um, yeah, obviously some leagues have, um, they, they play by different rules and, and they add on stats. But traditionally, that's those are kind of the five. Quality so, starts, maybe. I dabble, like I, I play fantasy. I'm, I'm I'm really, I think the league that I, I spend the most like time in is the Dynasty Fantasy League. And then I barely keep up with it well enough during the season. And then I'm super active with prospect, draft, trades, whatever. And then I, I, I got to work on that. But just knowing what like what I'm deficient in in some areas, like 
the win situation is always so fascinating to me because you, now you're looking at like the team, right? Like I'm looking at Kyle Wright as the wins leader last year. And then you have two Houston Astros in Justin Verlander and Fran Valdez. And then you have Julio uh, Arias. So it's all like really good teams, right? All, all playoff teams, even you Darvish checking in with the Padres at number five. Like it's always going to be that playoff team. So how much do you bake in the win side of it? Because there's some like pitchers that Kyle Wright doesn't belong in the conversation. I th- I love Kyle Wright. I think he's a really solid pitcher. Doesn't belong in the conversation with Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, Julio Arias, but he is going to win a lot of games. How do you balance like the, oh, this guy's going to, you know, rack up a lot of wins on a good team versus uh, this pitcher is going to put up way better statistics in the other four, you know, major categories. I don't really think you ha- you can let it get to you or be kind of a, a big decision maker for you because of how random wins are. I think the other piece of that, too, is that, you know, most of the top pitchers um, in fantasy are on good teams for the most part. Right. So it doesn't really affect, um, you know, even Sandy. Right. How many how many games did Sandy win last year? He still wins he games still because of how games, which would he, exactly tie, he, he tied still him for wins 12. games because of how good he is. So it's not really like a, a big contributing factor for me when I'm deciding like I'm really focused on, you know, strikeouts, ERA that those are the big two, I think, for me. And we're going to get into specific pitchers that you really like, even though you haven't dropped the rankings yet, because we still are about a month out of most major drafts. Of course, we're recording today on on February 15th and the regular season doesn't start until March 30th. So we have some time. So make sure to subscribe and listen to the Just Fantasy Baseball show where Colby and Clay will be breaking down these pitchers as well as you can find all the written rankings on JustBaseball.com. But we're going to pick his brain on a couple of pitchers. But before we get into that, I am curious about how you gauge injuries, right? It's the hardest thing to predict in fantasy baseball. A guy like Jacob deGrom, when healthy is the best pitcher in baseball, but is he healthy? How do you do that going in drafts? Like with a guy like Jacob deGrom, because I assume Sandy might be the first pitcher off the board because he's going to give you 230 innings. He's going to give you plenty of strikeouts and he's going to get the wins. Or is it someone else? You tell me. Yeah. I mean, I think the two hardest things to predict are injuries and also predicting like a guy like, say Spencer Strider, like how many innings is he going to throw this year? Is he going to make the leap to throwing 180, 190 innings when we saw him throw like 150 last year, right? It's, it's, you know, thinking about those types of things, even like rookies, like how many innings can I actually rely on like George Kirby to throw this year? Um, You know, when it comes to, I think there's a difference in predicting Jacob deGrom from an injury standpoint and predicting other guys from an injury standpoint, like say like a Luis Castillo or like an Aaron Knoll, like, Jacob deGrom is kind of in his own world of injury um, where he has just kind of had serial injury um, for the last few years. And it's not just one, you know, part of his body. He's had elbow injuries. He's had shoulder injuries. He's had lat injuries. He's, you know, he's beat up all over his body. Um, And yeah, I would say Jacob deGrom for me is a, is a big stay away because he's coming as a top 30 pick. And you did mention Pete that Sandy's going to be the first off the board. He's actually not Um, Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole are going ahead of him right now. Sandy's going actually about the same uh, ADP. You'll hear me use that a lot. You know, so if any listener doesn't know what ADP is, it's average draft position. Um, So yeah, Sandy and, and deGrom are going about the same. So to build off of like Peter's point, I I would personally, you know, love the safety that comes with a Sandy Alcantara, you know, especially just the fact that he is what he is in terms of durability, but then also pitching in Marlins Park where he just dominates. Anytime he had a tough spell, like got knocked around by the Dodgers on the road, he'd go to Miami, reset and go seven shutout or seven one run, you know, any. So he might not have the you run a thousand simulations. He might not have as many seasons the caliber of Corbin Burns or Garrett Cole in terms of the strikeouts in the other categories. But I guess Cole racks up a lot of innings. Corbin does still too, but just for the, for the sake of the question, because I think this could be applied to a lot of different, different kinds of pitchers. And, you know, when you're comparing between a couple of different guys, 
how much does it matter? And this is kind of a Cy Young conversation we always have too. How much in fantasy does it matter to have more innings versus higher strikeout rate? Because, you know, I know Garrett Cole compiles innings, but just for the sake of the question, you know, like Cole's going to strike out way more guys or at least a decent amount more guys. Uh, but Sandy is probably going to pace, like Peter said, Major League Baseball in innings by a pretty good margin if it's up to him. Uh, so how do you balance that with fantasy? Like how much value is there to throwing an extra 40 or 50 innings than the average guy? Or would you rather have a higher K percentage if the ERAs might not be too far off? Yeah, I mean, I think it, yeah, it's all a math equation. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think Garrett Cole is, is rightly ranked ahead of Sandy. Um, Garrett Cole threw 200 innings yeah. last year. He's thrown up to 212 in his career before. Um, and you look at Sandy last year, 228 innings, which is unicorn status there. But, but Garrett um, Cole you know, allowed like 70 home runs last year. It was a uh, it was quite a unicorn season for Garrett Cole last year for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> he's always had a knack for giving up home runs, and that's been the problem. But he could very well lead the league in in strikeouts every single year, and that's kind of the you know the draw for Garrett Cole. Um, but yeah, I think I think Arm, it's, it really just comes down to being a math equation. Um, how much do you value those extra twenty innings, and and do you expect Sandy to have a better ERA at the end of the year than? Then um, Garrett Cole, I think that's the big question, right? Because you know Garrett Cole is probably going to pace him in strikeouts. But if you believe the ERA is going to be lower, I could see a reason for waiting for Sandy Alcantara, um, you know, a a round later. Yeah, personally, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm taking Garrett Cole. I just am like that. That is possible is a horse. Not to say that Garrett Cole isn't, but the park factor. Garrett Cole plays in Yankee Stadium. It's a little tougher to pitch there. Also, the stadiums that he is going to pitch in in the AL East. I know that the divisions, uh, the schedule is going to be different. So that's going to you know take a little bit off. But overall, Sandy is pitching in better pitchers parks consistently. So I asked Clay this question uh, because Colby, last year, you and I were covering a lot of the fantasy stuff. And I remember still this take still sits with me because it was so shitty. And it was that Jared Walsh should be over Jose Abreu in our first base rankings. If you remember that, I still remember that. I fought you to the death on that, man. I fought you so hard to put Jose Abreu over Jared Walsh. And I told Clay this, and it was like, I had so much faith after one season, then a guy like Jose Abreu, who has been there, done that. We're going to kind of go through zero to 100, 100 to 200, kind of find value guys who are overrated. So my first question to you, Jared Walsh is a guy who was a top 10 first base. That's how we ranked him. He obviously didn't end up. I think he was like top 70. So who is a pitcher that you're up 300? Who, yeah, probably. Who is a pitcher that you're hanging your hat on this year? Who is a pitcher that you're almost a little bit afraid that you're this high on him, that you're ranking him ahead of a lot of guys? Someone that you're willing to say, if he's wrong, I'll be there at the end of the season to say, I whiffed. Who's that guy for you? Yeah, I think it makes sense to start with, you know, looking at like the top 20 pitchers. And and my guy right now is Shane McClanahan. Um, he's a true ace being taken, you know, 11th off the board right now. And if you take out closers, Emmanuel Classe and Edwin Diaz, he's going as, you know, starting pitcher nine off the board. But I think he's warranted of, a, of just being just as valuable as like a Spencer Strider or up there, you know, potentially in the, you know, Sandy Cole category. Um, I think he's right below that just because of innings pitch, but he really is a true ace. He doesn't hit hurt you in any category. Last year, he ranked eighth in ERA. He was third in whip. Um, he had the sixth highest K rate in all of all of baseball, sixth in X, XERA, 10th in FIP. You just look at him overall. He doesn't hurt you anywhere. And then he racked on 12 wins last year. And I see no reason why he couldn't rack on more this year. Um, you know, I think he'll go f- close to 200 innings this year. Um, you know, he he's a stud. And when I look at a guy that I'm actually kind of, you know, lower than McClanahan on and lower than a lot of where he's going is is Spencer Strider. Um, he's going ADP 35. And for reference, McClanahan is ADP 42 right now. Um, my problem with Strider is not that he I don't believe he'll get it done on the mound because he put up freakish numbers last year, right? A 1.83 FIP and 130 innings is like superhuman. I just question if he will be able to throw 
170, 180 innings? Like, is he going to be capped at 140, 150 innings? And that's the big question when you're dropping a, he might be a second or a third round pick for you. You know, it's tough. So McClanahan might be kind of limited in his own respect too, though, right? Like how how worried are you about with the shoulder issue? Obviously coming back last year makes it a lot better. Uh, If he ended the season on the IL, you know, with the shoulder issue, that'd be concerning, but he got the injection, came back and was able to throw at the end of the year and into the postseason. Still racked up 166 in the thirds innings. But with the way that the Rays manage things, and that's the other interesting wrinkle of this all, right, is you got to look at how teams kind of trot out their starters in today's game. And ultimately, you still had the opportunity, 28 starts, 166 in the thirds innings, pretty much par for the course in, in today's game. If anything, that's a pretty decent workload. But how much does does that kind of factor in for you? And, and how much do you think that maybe the shoulder issue at the end of the year is what's scaring people away from McClanahan uh, going into 2023. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it. Um, the shoulder, I'm not too worried about because it it's just so hard to predict injuries. He came back at the end of the year, pitched really strong. In terms to answer your question about the Rays and how they manage players, um, I think that the Rays do a great job of managing the players that need it. And McClanahan is not one of those guys. Last year, they let him go seven, eight strong, even you know, finish complete games at times. Um, he, he's their workhorse. He's their workhorse because he needs to be, um, but also because he's so damn good that why would they ever take him out of the game? Um, so yeah, I, uh, 166 innings last year. I would expect him to jump over 180 this year. What about his teammate, Tyler Glass now? A guy we saw in the playoffs last year dominate. And when he's on the mound, like I, I've talked about this before too, and Colby even probably mentioned it to you. When he's on the mound, I just... I don't know how anybody hits up because of the extension, because of the hundred miles an hour, because of the ball six, seven, but he is a guy who has been privy to injuries. And it seems like it's almost consistent at this point. How do you view him? And it's such a difficult question because we know when he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, he's almost kind of like Buxton in that way. Freak talent. When he's on the field, he does amazing things, but it's about staying on the field. And you said it yourself, it's so hard to gauge injuries, but we saw him look healthy at the end of the year. What's your view on Tyler Glass now this year? It's uh, it, it's a tough question because Tyler Glass now is being taken very high. He's being taken right around where Framber Valdez is being taken, right around where Tristan McKenzie is being taken. Right, Those are two certified studs and Glasnow deserves all of the respect as well. But yeah, when you haven't pitched in two years, you know, there's, there's definitely, um, there's definitely the chance for Glasnow to come back and have flare ups. I'm not saying he's going to get like full blown hurt and, and be out for the year, but there's a big chance for him to have a flare up here and there. Um, but the upside is there. I'm not going to tell you not to take Tyler, Tyler Glass now because the upside is there. Um, he's going 80p, 80, 85 right now. So it just depends. Um, I think I would rather have Fran Valdez because I know what I'm getting there and I'm getting an innings eater a la Sandy Alcantara. Um, and Tristan McKenzie's a high upside guy that, that really finished the season strong. So it, it's two other guys that are just proving themselves as, as aces. And Tyler Glass now is an ace, but it's the question. Tough. So, uh, like, I, I think honestly, for me, and again, maybe when you break it down fantasy wise, it's a little bit closer. I, I think it's a no brainer to go Valdez and McKenzie with, with yeah. again, what, what you've showed on the side of the Framber, just innings eater, gets gets so many ground balls and mixes in enough strikeouts, though, for a ground ball guy. McKenzie has some injury history, but no more than, you know, a lot of really young, talented pitchers in today's game. And, you know, you talk about the big stride he made last year to take it almost a step below that, because I think it's almost even more. Of, of a juggle here going back to Kyle Wright I'm looking at some of the ADP like area and, and some of the rankings and the numbers there and like Kyle Wright's kind of close to glass now Wright is a guy that you know he's not going to win you your league but he's never going to lose you your league right if you take Kyle Wright he, he's going to be solid for you and probably be a nice complimentary piece you better hit on your other picks but that's one where like if you don't love anybody else in that range 
Kyle Wright's not going to hurt you. And, you know, he's definitely going to be a solid contributor to your fantasy team. But for somebody like that, where the ceiling and the floor is so close versus a Tyler Glass now, like what's the tipping point for you where you're like, okay, I can't pass on Glass now here. That's why I bring up Kyle Wright, like George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, all of those guys. Like where is your the line that you draw on Tyler Glass now where you're like, eh. Uh, I, I got to take last now over this guy. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's Framber McKenzie. And then right after McKenzie, you got to get glass now before it gets to like Robbie Ray, George Kirby, Hunter Green, because these are guys with question marks, too. Right. George Kirby is one of my favorite picks. Um, but you really got to believe in George Kirby, right? He's going ADP 105. You know, you can probably get him a little lower than that in some leagues, maybe a little higher than in others. Um, but he finished the season so strong last year. In his last 13 starts after the All-Star break, he had a 1.88 FIP. This is a guy that walked less than two per nine over that span, struck out nearly 10 per nine. Um, he's a fantastic pitcher. The question mark for Kirby, though, is, you know, a guy that threw 130 innings last year, is he going to take the step to 160, 170? And I don't know. I genuinely don't know. So there's this cluster of starting pitchers that I just find fascinating. It's like Tony Gonsolin, Lance Lynn, Jesus Lazardo, Freddie Peralta, Lucas Giolito, Dustin May, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez. Like a lot of guys with question marks, high upside. I'm curious because this is this is the part of the draft where I feel like you can win your league. Right. It's to find that not diamond in the rough, but to take a chance on a guy, maybe a Dustin May, who, if he stays healthy, could look like Jacob deGrom, a Nestor Cortez Jr., who showed the fastball was one of the top 10 pitches overall in baseball by run value. But he's never done it before. Right. Besides that year, who is a guy kind of in that range? Or do you tend to go the safer route? Like Lance Lynn is probably going to be Lance Lynn and give you a four ERA and a bunch of innings and decent amount of strikeouts that'll win some games. How do you gauge that in your draft? Is it based kind of on your team that you already have? Maybe if you drafted a lot of safe guys, then you go for the home run or you consistently going for the home run because you either want to win your league or finish last. Like how do you gauge that middle ground of pitchers where there's a lot of upside, but there's also plenty of downside. Yeah, I think it's got to be like 70-30 for me. Um, It's like 70% I'm chasing upside. I've got to have those guys in my rotation that I know I'm going to get solid innings from that I can kind of bank on their production. And I think Joe Ryan's a guy like that. Um, But I did want to mention that, you know, Nestor to me is, is I would stay away this year. And I love Nestor. I love watching him pitch. Um, He's a friend of the show, obviously. But he's dealing with a shoulder injury now. He threw a career high 160 innings last year, and now he's dealing with a shoulder problem before the season's even started. That's terrifying. And he's going very high in drafts, right? Pete, we were all over him last year. You gave him as one of your, you know, five under the radar picks. And I think he was going like after 300. It was like 320 ADP, right? That was awesome. But now he's going in the top 150 and it, and it's, you know, it's worrisome for him coming off of, um, a career high workload and already dealing with the shoulder injury for me. But two guys that you didn't mention in that group, actually going after that group that I'm even kind of more all over. Um, there's a lot of guys in that group that have question marks. Um, one guy that I love as a safe pick is Brady Singer. Um, through 150 innings last year, a 3.23 ERA, 3.58 FIP. Um, you know, not flashy, but strikes out enough. And doesn't walk, guys. Gets ground balls, 49% ground ball rate. He also doesn't play on a great team, but he still racked up 10 wins last year, right? I think the Royals, a lot of the games that they are going to win this year are going to be Brady Singer starts. Um, And I think he's still kind of a guy that's flying under the radar, even though he had so much hype coming out of college. He's still kind of flying under the radar, and I think he can take a step forward this year um, and throw 170 plus innings and, and be a really good workhorse for you, um, at a good value, a guy that, you know, if you want to hit a home run, it's Kodai Senga, it's Kodai Senga. I mean, this, this guy could be unbelievable. He could produce ACE level value for you. Um, and he's going right next to Brady Singer at ADP 186. Like you're getting uh, to me, an absolute steal. And I think you're going to have to take Kodai Senga a lot earlier than ADP 186. I took him recently in a draft at 165. And then I actually got Brady Singer two rounds later. So 
Kodai Singh is a guy that I'm willing to take that chance on. One one note on Nestor. Um, I, I believe it's more hamstring. I think he tweaked. Oh his yeah, it's not shoulder. Hand. Okay, but but there is a concern, an understandable concern about the workload because he's a guy that's never thrown a ton of innings. His delivery is like, it, it's it's unique and definitely puts some pressure on his arm. And um, I you know I hope that's not an issue, but that's something that I know a lot of evaluators have have kind of been concerned about, and a lot of people have been worried about is is you know how does that how does that shoulder and that arm hold up with those mechanics with the way he's kind of built? But I know he talked about it on the podcast with us. He he put a lot of time in the weight room, so hopefully hopefully that'll translate into more innings. But I agree. I mean it, it's it's just in terms of precedence. There's not a lot of Nestor Cortez's and for better and for worse, that's a testament to him. Uh, but that's also something that, you know, if you don't want to roll the dice, I, I don't blame you on, on the fantasy side there, especially in that ballpark. Right. A guy with a that likes to elevate the fastball. We talk about Garrett Cole being susceptible to the home run ball. If Nestor Cortez's fastball drops down a tick, it goes from one of the best pitches in baseball to something that, you know, could end up being a home run machine. And, and that's crazy with, with the fine line with those kind of riding fastballs in, in a hitter's park there. Um is it all right if I jump to to relievers, Peter? Or do you have any more starter questions? Because I have some like interesting reliever questions with today. Yeah, game. give me some reliever questions. Do, so do whatever back. you want. So, uh, Literally okay. do whatever you want. I'll ask starter. We're just talking pitching. We're talking okay. ball. I like right. this. We're I, talking I didn't, ball. I didn't want to send us rogue and then like send us all back around. But what's interesting to me is is I think the reliever situation, and and this goes back to me like playing fantasy as a kid. I feel like the more um, that's an area where it's just like, if you know what's going on with roster situations and with teams, you can find some diamonds in the rough on the closer side to, to pick up those, you know, coveted saves. And I know you want to get guys to just strike guys out too. And that's always great. Uh, but who are some guys that you think could have some underrated saves amount of saves this year, if that makes sense, right? Like, you know, that you still have the traditional Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel class, a Josh hater type closers that, you know, anytime you're within three runs and, and you're going into the ninth inning, those guys are going to take the ball, but you got a lot of teams that kind of go by committee now or other teams that, you know, don't really have their clear cut closer yet. So who are some guys that you're looking at that you think could pick up uh, maybe some, some saves that maybe people aren't really putting in the closer category. Sure. I think the the biggest question mark coming into this season is what are the Dodgers bull, bullpen going to look like? You have Evan Phillips, you have Daniel Hudson back there potentially getting saves, possibly, you know, some other guys. But I like Evan Phillips a lot and he he really pitched well last year. Um, I think that's a guy to take a flyer on. Because if he does lock down 15 saves in the, you know, in the Dodgers bullpen, that would be huge. Um, but honestly, I think my best advice for drafting four saves is get, you know, two to three guys that you know are going to get saves and then draft a guy that might be in that eighth inning role right now, but has ridiculous stuff because you never know either who is going to get hurt or you never know who's going to implode. You really don't. Right. Chapman was the Yankees closer forever. But Clay Holmes really took that over last year. I'm also curious, too, because I've never understood this, and this is probably why I tend to finish like third and fourth and sometimes eighth, is I don't know when to draft closers, right? Because Aram spoke about Edwin Diaz and a couple other these elite closers, and they're ranked in the top 10 pitchers in fantasy baseball. Their ADPs are in the mid-30s. I've always found it incredibly difficult to rationalize taking it Edwin Diaz over a top 30 hitter when I need an outfielder, right? How do you view closers in the draft? Are you a guy who says there's real value here and an Edwin Diaz is maybe better than a, I don't know, just throwing names out there like a Kyle Tucker, even though I'm not sure exactly where they're ranked, but like, how do you gauge that when you're going into draft day? That's always been my biggest struggle on top of trying to draft rookies and seeming smart. And then they play 80 games and hit a rookie wall. And I'm like, wow, that was, it was smart at draft day, but it wasn't actually good for my fantasy league long-term. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's I think it's the the biggest struggle that a lot of fantasy owners have, and even myself, because of how league dependent it is too. Right, every league is different with you know their scoring or how or how they view closers, or even how the other people in your draft are viewing closers. Right, Pete. Like you're like, oh, I'm staying away. Maybe everybody else might be staying away too. Um, I think my strategy is I would like to get one of the top guys, whether it be Diaz, whether it be class a um, potentially hater as well. And then I can wait and I have this breathing. Like I can take kind of like a deep breath and be like, okay, I've figured out my number one closer. Um, I think the other thing too, is that in a lot of drafts, I feel like if I grab that closer early and and I know he's going to be a stud and get me 40 saves, I know I'm going to make up the margin on the back end with like these, my sleepers. Like I, I always do. I always nail those guys. Like that's the big thing for me. It, it reminds he, me. Oh, so go ahead. Hold on arm. Just one quick question. Just to follow up on that. Like this is just where I'm confused, right? Lindor is ADP 33. Edwin Diaz is ADP 34. Like my brain says I take Francisco Lindor every single day of the week, but where where do you separate, right? Where do you separate where I'm going to take Edwin Diaz over this tier of hitters, if that makes sense? Because that's my biggest struggle here. I always say, well, duh, I'm going to take Lindor. I, I mean, like I said, Pete, it, it's very league by league dependent, right? If you look at um, Edwin Diaz, for example, has gone as high as 10 in some leagues and as low as 92 in others, right? Emmanuel Classe has gone as high as 13 and as low as 98 in others. It really depends on your scoring. Like to give you an example, I did a, a best ball draft, which means like you just draft your team and you're stuck with that team for the entire year. Um, and I got, I drafted Emmanuel Classe 65th overall. So like, you know, that's more palatable than drafting him 30th. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like, I think I would rather have Lindor. Um, yeah. okay, but I good. think there is, I think it, it it is worth it to get these top guys. It really is. To me, it, it reminds me of like the tight end position in, in fantasy football, where it's like, if you're not going to get the top guy, like I'll just wait. And most of the time I've realized the years that I do well in fantasy football is when I take the best tight end. Because I feel like I can make it up with wide receiver depth or, you know, potentially finding that, handcuff running back that gets the opportunity or yep. whatever it may be. And, and I think that's where it's like, I, I do feel like if I reach, I think it's a good point too. And, and to kind of build off of what Peter was saying, cause I think it's an extremely difficult juggle. It's like, do I take, you know, this, this third, you know, third overall tight end or go get, you know, maybe a, a wide receiver one or wide receiver two, it's really tough. But, you know, I, I do think if you're really, really in the weeds, you can make up, you know, that that outfield spot or that infield spot that you you maybe had to wait another round on because you took that closer. Uh, but it's pretty hard to make up the closer because once once you get the drop off from the first couple guys, it's 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 pretty hard. But I feel like every year there's so many breakout offensive guys or breakout, you know, outfield, infield, whatever it may be. Who is maybe your number one outside of Phillips, like? super under the radar guy that could pick up saves that maybe nobody's paying attention to like uh being that i just wrote way too many words on the aj puck jj bladet swap uh like way too many uh, like that's a that's just a surface level example of like aj puck might end up saving more games than anybody else in that marlins bullpen i don't know how they're going to use him i don't know how that's going to happen but like just for an example Who's somebody that you're looking at that you're like, oh, that guy might just fall right into the closer role in a bad bullpen or just regardless might fall into the closer role. Because even bad teams, they win enough games in Major League Baseball to rack up at least a few saves, even even the really bad ones. A sneaky one. And it, it is a guy being talked about a decent amount because he's being taken, you know, he's being taken 150 ADP um, some places lower than that in others. Alexis Diaz on Cincinnati Reds is one of the most electric bullpen arms that you might not know about yet. Um, struck out 12 per nine last year. He struck out 15 per nine in double A in 2021. Um, just an, a flamethrower. He had a 1.84 ERA last year with a 2.76 XERA. Um, picked up 10 saves even last year. And this year, most projection systems have him right between 20 and 23 saves. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's lights out. And I feel like this Reds team is kind of sneaky enough to win like 
you know, 72 games. Like they, they could win 72. You might get 25 saves. I, um, I have a question too about Shohei Otani because Shohei Otani, when I look at ADP, right, I'm on fantasy pros and I see Shohei Otani in terms of ESPN where he's getting drafted is number one. And then on Yahoo, it's 52 on CBS. It's nine on other places. It's between the eight to 10 range. It seems to me that Shohei would easily be the number one pick. If you had to know, he pitches and hits. And another quick fact about um, Alexis Diaz before you answer the Shohei Otani question, (laughs) my run value, Alexis Diaz's fastball was the same as Emmanuel Classe's cutter, which you may not expect. It was that good of a pitch by run value. But going back to Shohei Otani real quick, he has to be the number one pick, right? Or is he not? What? Why is he 52 on ESPN or, or, or Yahoo? Wait, what? The reason I'm what? laughing. 52 ADP on Yahoo. I'm looking at Fantasy Pros right now. That what? has to be because they're designating him as a hitter only. That's the only okay. thing I could think of. Um, but I'm just laughing because going from Alexis Diaz to Shohei Otani is one of the funniest transitions. Um, but I think it all depends on on the rules of your league. If Shohei Otani is eligible as both a pitcher and a hitter on your team, then he's the clear number one overall pick. If okay. he's a pitcher, then I think you can stack him right in there with like to Grom Sandy. I think he's right there in terms of value. Um, I might even take him above to Grom easily over to Grom, maybe above Sandy. I mean, he he's hmm. that good. But what, but what about as a hitter? Like if, this is a guy that steals bags, not efficiently, but he still steals bags. Is it, I don't think stolen base percentage is a thing. Uh, we know he hits home runs. He's not, you know, I think he got better and better in terms of like the on base and, and batting average department in the second half. And um, even if you're drafting Otani in, in just uh, a league that only allows him to be a hitter or a pitcher, I don't, I still don't even totally get how that works. Like, why wouldn't you be able to use him as the guy that he is? Sure, he's far and away the best one, but you better hope you got pick number one. That's how it works. Uh, as, a, as a hitter that can produce home runs, drive in runs, and steal bases, why is he not higher up there? And, and yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be ADP fifty. I mean, okay. I would I would rank him as a you know a top twenty five hitter. And and how much He's how amazing. much does it matter to have the power speed combination versus maybe like a, this is another tipping point you know math equation conversation here. You know, you could get a Kyle Schwarber who you know hits forty five homers, or you could get you know somebody else who a Kyle Tucker who let's say hits thirty homers but swipes 15, 20 bags. Like how do you, how do you balance that side of things? Um, and, and like maybe what's more valuable. Yeah. I mean, the, the key at the beginning of your draft is drafting guys with it that have it all right. That's why Fernando Tatis is so valuable. That's why Otani is so valuable and why he would be deserving of a top 15 pick as just a hitter. Um, but yeah, it's really important at the top of your draft to focus on grabbing guys that have both power and speed, um, which is why I don't find myself ending up with guys like Vlad Guerrero or even Juan Soto a lot of times. Like I'm going for those, you know, five tool guys, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, um, you know, Bo Bichette is a guy that I'm really targeting this year and talked about it on uh, we. Clay and I ran through our top 10 shortstops that episode released today. And so we were talking about Bo Bichette versus uh, Bobby Witt Jr. and how much of a debate that is. But yeah, it's really important. It's why JT Rel Muto is the number one catcher too, because of the speed factor. 2020. And so I know Clay came on yesterday and gave Will Smith his number one catcher, but debatable. And that's why you guys got to go check out the Just Fantasy Baseball show. Cole all these different topics, getting deep into the weeds, both hitting and pitching, but to steal a little bit of your guys's content and don't give me everything, but I need a flyer, right? Dalton Varsho was a guy that you and I were both high on from the catching position who ended up being really good. That's kind of your McClanahan this year, but pitching wise, like my Nestor last year at 350, you had some great takes there too. Who is a guy deep in drafts that people need to pay attention? in 20 in the ADP of a hundred or lower 
Um, yeah. So a couple guys that I did want to touch on real quick that are between ADP 200 and 300, and then I'll give you my deep sleeper. Um, I'm back on the Alex Cobb train again. You know, you're going to have to rip me off that Alex Cobb train and I'll get hurt again. 2.8 FIP last year with a 3.73 ERA in one of the friendliest home ballparks in baseball. And he's a ground ball pitcher with a 62% ground ball rate. Like, I don't even, I genuinely do not know how it was possible that he had a 3.73 ERA last year. The amount of times this guy burned me on bets last year is unbelievable. Um, but still, he threw 150 innings last year. Played is again in the, one of the friendliest home ballparks. I'll be all over him again this year. Um, another guy that I'll be all over is Trevor Rogers. I see no reason why Trevor Rogers shouldn't be at the top of your list. Um, he came back, you know, he was up and down with injuries last year. Wasn't getting the same whiff numbers that he had in, in 2021, but this was a guy that I ranked as a top 20 starting pitcher coming into last year. And he really disappointed, but he finished the year really strong. His last three starts, um, you know, 18 innings, 22 strikeouts, limited the walks, which was the big concern for him last year. It seemed like every start, it was like, you know, two, three, four walks. And like when you're giving away that many free passes, it's just really, really hard to succeed. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to get a reminder of how good Trevor Rogers is this year. And then the last guy is Ranger Suarez, another guy that's a ground ball pitcher. Um, he's to me, a, a really high floor guy, um, gets a lot of soft contact and the Phillies love him. So that's a, that's another guy to target like late in the two hundreds. Yeah, I, no arm perked up on, when I said Trevor Rogers. Yeah, no, it's one thing I had on Trevor is you know there's definitely some red flags last year, but the 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 talent and, and what he's already done and with Mel Stoudemire Jr. there, I felt like when I was watching Trevor last year, it was like he was trying to figure it out on the fly. Now he's had a whole off season to figure it out. It's hard when you got five days between starts. You can't throw that much because you just threw and you're trying to, you know, iron out your mechanics and and, and figure out what's going on. And, and he was trying to tweak. It just didn't seem like he could quite find it. And then he got a little banged up. So I, I like that one. I, I'm always going to bet on Mel Stoudemire Jr. to, you know, kind of help on the Marlins pitching side and continue to, to get the most out of those guys. And you look at the rotation, they've continued to do that. Most of those guys are overachievers uh, from where they were once perceived to where they are now, uh, except for maybe Jesus Lazardo, who's forever been, you know, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Uh, but I guess my last question uh, of this whole thing is, well, I got to get my deep sleeper in. Ooh, that was going to be my question actually. So go okay. ahead. You act like I don't have any more questions left too. Oh, don't worry. We're talking deep sleepers in a sec. All right, deep sleeper, go. Well, my deep sleeper last year, if you don't believe my track record, was Christian Javier. I do remember. The reason I loved Christian Javier so much is he had this swingman profile, um, but I thought for sure he was going to eventually get a chance in that Astros um, rotation. And that's exactly what he did. He proved to be an ace level pitcher. but was kind of that swingman reliever starter. What is he? Is he just like a three inning guy? Um, a guy that I see that could, could have that potential this year is Hayden Wesneski. And I know you yes. guys love him. I know you guys love him. Um, you know, 2.18 ERA and 33 big league innings last year with a 2.18 X ERA. He struck out nine Per nine, he walked uh, 5% of batters, really low walk rate. I mean, this is a guy with the wipeout slider. Um, and he threw 143 innings last year. Like, this isn't a guy that, you know, wasn't built up. He's not, like, he is built up. He can he can start 25 games, I think, this year. Um, it just depends if the Cubs give him that chance. And I think that he's going to force his hand there. Yankee fans, remember Hayden Wesneski <laughs> traded for Scott Efros? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, He's Colby's so, ultimate sleeper could turn into Christian Javier this year. We were all so doing well. I don't know about that. Like, I, I don't think he's I he's know. at that level, but like, you know, he's if he gets a chance to start, he's going to really. If he's 50% of Christian Javier, we lost the trade. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, he's the, if, if Christian Javier proved last year, he threw a no hitter in the freaking playoffs. Like, he was electric. And if Wesneski can put up a 3 5 ERA in 150 innings and he's going that deep in drafts, he's a steal. And we expect him to do that, right, Arm? 
A hundred percent, dude. So, so this was the one thing that I think is kind of deceiving. Um, and I know you are what your numbers are um, at the end of the day, but was Nesky kind of struggled in his first two starts after the trade? Like he got traded to a different AAA team and then, you know, had to kind of get acclimated and go right out there and um, just didn't do great. And then you, you put together the final three AAA starts and then his one, two, three, four, five, six big league appearances. He pitched to a 1.69 ERA in 48 innings. <laughs> Opponents at 168. He punched out 48 and gave up only 28 hits. So, I mean, this guy really figured it out after that, like kind of shaky outing or two after the trade and really just kind of put everything together there. So I, I really think this guy's gonna gonna blossom into a solid middle of the rotation starter. And you talk about kind of the the way that guys are able to get ground balls. He gets ground balls and he gets whiff. That's always a nice profile. Doesn't um, give up home runs. Doesn't give up and. home runs. I'm I'm excited to see what he does. On the Yankee side, sucks that Efros like immediately got hurt. Um and and I, I'm I'm interested to see how Efros factors in once he does come back because the Yankees have an unbelievable you know, just ability to build the bullpen out. But yeah, I, I think Wisniewski is going to be a dude and I'm excited to see what he does. And I can't believe how low he's going in, in, in drafts right now, because it's not like there's a lot of guys in his way in that Cubs rotation. You know, they have added dudes, but I, I'm not worried about some of these guys, especially in the back end of that rotation, blocking Hayden Wisniewski with what he's been able to do after the last, you know, last year. Colby. You have one. He, last he's thing going on. right. He's going right next to your guy, Cal Quantrill, by the way. Um, so yeah, well, give me Cal, but, um, so arm, do you have one last question? Cause I know I have would, one more. That, that was, was your last name. one. So the ultimate stay away. Like who is the guy that's giving you nightmares? Who is the guy that I know Colby, you're going to be five to six different leagues, maybe more dynasty points, head to head. Not taking him in any of these leagues. Yeah. You're <laughs> just, I'm not taking this guy. He might be going high. He might be going low. Who is the ultimate stay away for you? All right. Michael Kopech is my ultimate <laughs> stay away. <laughs> um, it's a guy that has been somewhat untrustworthy since his time with the Red Sox. And one reason that he was traded away from the Red Sox, but he's dealt with plenty of injuries. Um, you know, he had a really good start to last year and a lot of people were like, Oh, you know, Michael Kopech is, you know, is he finally coming out? He had a 3.36 ERA and 83 innings in the first half last year. And then he got hurt. Everything kind of fell apart in the second half, but I think it was a bit deceiving, right? He struck out just 21% of batters walked 11% of batters, um, you know, had a 4.5 FIP, a 3.94 expected ERA, but had a 3.54 ERA. I think it was a little bit deceiving and he's still going somewhat high here. Let me check the exact ADP for you. Um, you know, he's going ADP, he's going ADP 290. So it's somewhat late, but it's a guy for me that I just like, he's going to look, you're going to see Michael Kopech's name deep in your draft and you're going to go, wow, I know that name. I know that name. Don't draft him. Stay like away. someone, two guys in that range who I like better. Roancy Contreras with the Pirates, possibly even Justin Steele with the Cubs. Like oh, yeah. guys who have plenty of upside. We even had Justin Steele on the podcast, friend of the program, who did really well for the Cubs as that lefty. And it's not like you can rely on past years with the White Sox where they're winning 95 games because they might win 80 this year, which probably won't be that different from the Chicago Cubs. Maybe, you know, here and there, but it's not like Kopech gets that annual. The White Sox have this loaded lineup. He gives up three runs, strikes out seven, and he wins the ballgame. That might just not happen anymore. So I, while Kopech is going late, who is a guy who's going pretty high, maybe in the top 30, and this is my final final question, who you just don't have on any of your teams and you don't plan to. Not that you don't like him. I know you mentioned Strider, but who's another guy in that conversation where you like him, but he's not going to be on any of your teams? Oh, <laughs> it's uh, it's tough because a lot of these guys are are really, really damn good at the top. Um you know, it, it's hard when you go down this list and it's like, oh, I guess I don't like Alec Manoa. Like, of course I do. <laughs> um, but, you know, if I if I had to pick a guy that I'm sort of staying away from, I, I want to say 
I want to say a, a guy like Joe Musgrove might be a guy that I'm staying away from at his current price. Mm. Um, yeah, Joe Musgrove's going ADP 82. You can grab Zach Gallen near him. You can grab Framber Valdez even after him. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going for a guy like Framber over a, a Joe Musgrove, or I'd, you know, I'd quite honestly rather pay up a round earlier on a Zach Gallen or a Max Freed um, or a Christian Javier than than um, than Joe Musgrove. Arm, I like that take. I like it. I was actually going to specifically ask about Musgrove because I think he's kind of an interesting case of he shows flashes of of you know, being that frontline guy, but then you look at the numbers at the end and it's like, they're solid, but I would probably prefer Zach Gallen. And, and again, you know, there's a little bit more maybe injury concern there, but Gallen is a clear cut ace. Uh, I think we saw that last year. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I, it's, this is getting me excited to to draft. This is getting me excited for fantasy football season. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys continue to put these rankings out. And uh, uh, of course those will all be published on just baseball.com in the coming week. So, so keep up with that. You can make sure you're subscribing to the just fantasy baseball show, because these guys are going to get you right for your drafts. If you couldn't tell already from this episode. And hopefully after listening to this episode, arms excited for fantasy baseball, not fantasy football. Like you just said, <laughs> did I say football? Yeah. You're in football mode. We just no, have to clearly not now we're about fantasy baseball. Then. Hey, Aram, welcome to the just baseball show. All right. <laughs> just no, but definitely baseball. go check out Colby's and Clay's podcast. The just fantasy baseball show. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you listen. Colby, plug anything else. Of course, your Twitter uh, before we say goodbye. Yeah, no, just check us out. I, I really hope you guys take a listen. Um, we're, you know, our, our goal for just fantasy baseball is we're going to be in and out. You know, we're not going to give you any BS. It's just, here's the rankings. Here's who we like. Here's who we're staying away from. Um, most of the episodes are around 30 minutes. Like it's, it's quick. It's in and out. So if you really want deep analysis, it's the place to come. Um, you know, one more guy I'm going to leave with you, leave you with is, You'd be hard pressed to find me not interested in Noah Syndergaard this year. Uh, wow. I like there's there's a piece of me sense. that he's going deep in drafts. He's going you know past ADP three hundred. Um, the innings will be there, and if there's any guy that the Dodgers can turn around, it's got to be Syndergaard. If they can just get him a little more strikeouts, just turn that slider around, I, I can I can believe again. It's actually, it's a good take because you know he's winning 25 games next year with a 280, all right? He's throwing 100 miles an hour. But even if he's half that, he'll be a good pitcher there for the Dodgers. Thanks again, Colby. This was awesome. Again, make sure to go check out the Just Fantasy Baseball show. It's linked in the episode description. And with that, thank you, everybody. <laughs>